When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, welcome and all in here, out there, all around the world to The Late Show. I'm your host, Stephen Colbert. And today, check your calendar. Check your calendar, my friends, because today is February 1st, and I want to start off by wishing everyone a happy Black History Month. For, for, for Americans, it's a time to celebrate the black experience and black contributions to our country, and for corporate brands, it's a time to suggest that Langston Hughes would have loved the new Wendy's Double Baconator. <laughs> Unfortunately, 14 states have a weird way of celebrating Black History Month with new rules that limit how teachers can teach Black History Month, or as the teachers, or as the teachers will now be forced to call it, month. One black educator warned that these new laws would mean that teachers could mention that Jackie Robinson broke Major League Baseball's color line, but not discuss why black players were banned. They could also mention soul singer Marvin Gaye, but not discuss his what's going on lyrics. <laughs> Instead, school districts would have to teach this version. Lewis? Mother, mother, gee, your blouse looks nice today. Brother, brother, I made you this fish fillet. You know I just came here to say that everything is a-okay. Nothing's going on. Nothing's going on. Nothing's going on. Nothing's going on. Terrible lyrics, but I somehow still want to have sex. <laughs> That's how powerful Marvin Gaye is. Speaking of trying to... One person applauding me having sex up there. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Speaking of trying to erase history, we're learning more about former President Cusolini. The January 6th committee just got new proof that he was directly involved in proposals to use his national security agencies to seize voting machines. It's quite a turn for an election campaign. His slogan went from, keep America great, to seize them, you fools! <laughs> Let's be clear. It is difficult, after years of building a thick, protective callus over my heart and my brain, just to protect myself from the hot black tar of his narcissistic evil impulses for me to take this information in for the, the gargantuan and grotesque violation of everything this country holds dear. But I think it's worth taking a moment right now just to, just to let this sink in, just to marinate in his madness. At home, you might want to pause your DVR to scream into a bag or punch a hole in the drywall. <laughs> because, to be clear, the former president, still the leader, of one of the two major parties who has all the Republican balls in a little velvet pouch that he wears around his neck like an amulet, <laughs> wanted troops 
U.S. troops to go into your local polling place, grab the machines, throw them in a truck, and then God knows what, waterboard them until they say he won. <laughs> you should be alarmed even if you voted for him because military coups do not lead to healthy societies. No one ever says, if only we could emulate the economic miracle that is Myanmar. <laughs> and he tried so hard to get this done. In fact, in fact, Myanmar. Myanmar. In fact, in his four years in office, this may be the thing he worked hardest on. In November, he asked whether the Justice Department could seize the machines. They said, what? No. So, he directed his lawyer, Rudolph W. Giuliani, to ask the Department of Homeland Security if it could legally take control of voting machines in key swing states. No one asks if they're legally allowed to do something, unless they're pretty sure it's illegal. <laughs> hey, uh, you're my lawyer, let me ask you this. Is there any way I could legally sell heroin as an antidepressant? <laughs> no? Well, that news makes me really sad. <laughs> no, it would help? A little black tar Zoloft. <laughs> the Department of Homeland Security turned him down, but the ex-president also reviewed a proposal to have the Pentagon take control of the machines. That is horrifying. The only time the military should take control of the machines is when we inevitably go to war against our robot overlords. I will not bow down before my Roomba. <laughs> this Pentagon scheme was pushed by disgraced former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn and disgraced current lawyer Sidney Powell. But even Mr. Giuliani felt that the idea of bringing in the military was beyond the pale. Do you know how crazy you have to be? <laughs> to hear that you've gone too far from Rudy Giuliani. That is like... That is like... That's like hearing you've had too much to drink from Rudy Giuliani. Or you've got to get those bottom teeth fixed from Rudy Giuliani. Or don't try to fish your penis out of your pants in front of a Borat film true from Rudy Giuliani. And so far... Hey guys. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so far, none of these goons are in jail or disbarred, but that could change, is what I tell myself every night when my head hits the pillow. <laughs> the January 6th committee is uh, on the job, and they're lucky to be learning any of this because some of the White House records turned over to them had to be taped back together by National Archive staff because they had been ripped up. Sounds like during the pandemic, the people at the National Archives also got into puzzles. Okay, it's fun. I start with the corners, then I do the sides, and the, ooh, 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 I got a ketchup stain. Wait, I saw another red one. Oh, here's another red one. The reds don't match. Oh, wait, when is this from? March 21st. It's a Taco Tuesday. That's salsa. My goodness. Now, it violates the Presidential Records Act to tear up official documents. But the former president had a very good reason. He was afraid of going to jail. Also, he was known inside the White House for his habit of tearing presidential records into shreds and tossing them on the floor, which advisors call the president's unofficial filing system. So, destroying evidence is his filing system. Hey, what happened to Rocco? Thought he was going to testify against us. Let's just say Rocco is filing with the fishes.
wasn't just tearing, according to White House advisors, he wants ate a sensitive document. <laughs> he would have eaten more sensitive documents, but he ran out of ranch. <laughs> Speaking of the worst people in public office, Florida governor and man describing what Adele's music means to him, Ron DeSantis, over the weekend, horrifically, there were a couple of Nazi rallies in Orlando. I assume they were trying to annex the Sudetenland pavilion at Epcot. <laughs> now, this is terrible and the easiest thing in the world to condemn unless you're Ron DeSantis, who remains silent. It's been said the only thing necessary for evil to succeed is for good men to say nothing. It's also bad when Ron DeSantis says nothing. <laughs> then DeSantis got cornered by some no-good reporters wanting to know things like, hey, Gov, so Nazis, uh, where do you come down on that whole deal? But a DeSantis identified the true enemy, Democrats. What I'm going to say is these people, uh, these Democrats who are trying to use this as some type of political issue to try to smear me as if I had something uh, to do with it, we're not playing their game. He seems to think being asked how he feels about Nazis is some kind of gotcha question <laughs> instead of the biggest softball of all time. Watch. I think Nazis are bad. Where, where do I get the courage? <laughs> Not from Ron DeSantis. <laughs> we got a great show for you tonight. Coming up, what's going on in Ukraine? John, happy, happy Black History Month. Happy Black History Month. Yes, got a lot indeed. to celebrate this month. That's right, that's right. Also, happy Lunar New Year. Yes. And the Chinese calendar, correct? That's right. Yeah. Happy New Year time. You know what year this is? It's the year of the tiger. That's right. Yeah. That's good yeah. for Cincinnati. Oh, yes. Yeah. Look at that. Wow. Could be. Cincinnati. You never know. Yeah, I like Two points make a know. line. <laughs> That's right. Now, folks, for weeks now, there's been major tensions over in Eastern Europe. Here, here's what's going on. Vladimir Putin has got Russian troops massing on the borders of Ukraine and has used this self-generated crisis to demand that NATO pledge to halt further eastward expansion and agree not to admit Ukraine as a member. That's not fair. Ukraine already made it through NATO rush week. <laughs> so they carried that greased album clenching their butt cheeks up a flight of stairs for nothing? <laughs> Joke's based on a true story. The U.S. <laughs> the U.S. and Russia are still negotiating here. Today, there was a phone call between U.S. Secretary of State and man who always makes you watch him eat during Zoom meetings, Antony Blinken, and Russian foreign minister and man who postponed lunch for this Zoom meeting, <laughs> Sergei Lavrov. In advance of this phone call, one U.S. official claimed the Russian government has delivered a written response to a U.S. proposal aimed at de-escalating the Ukraine crisis. I believe we actually have a copy of that written response. Dear sir or madam, kaboom, kisses Vlad. <laughs> the... Short and sweet. The Kremlin claims they have not sent an official reply. But we got a preview today of their response when Putin told reporters, it is already clear that the fundamental Russian concerns were ignored. We did not see an adequate consideration of our three key requirements. Yes, you must address his three key requirements. Give me Ukraine. <laughs> the things are tense. Yesterday, in the U.N. Security Council, 
the U.S. and Russian ambassadors got into a diplomatic brawl. Oh, damn! There is nothing more thrilling than a diplomatic brawl. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, live from the U.N. building in New York City, let's get ready to draft a non-binding resolution! The Russian ambassador to the U.N. claimed that the U.S. is exaggerating the threat. But look how many troops Russia has all around Ukraine. That's a lot of red. If this were an ad for T-Mobile, I'd consider switching carriers. <laughs> Russia even has troops on the western side of Ukraine in Moldova. That's not even on the Russian border. What's their excuse? It's not invasion. We are just here to enjoy, uh, scenic Moldova. <laughs> they have world's largest turnip. Very large turnip make a very big <laughs> soup. Turnip fans, everybody loves a good turnip joke. One worrying sign that a Russian invasion may be imminent is that the U.S. has seen indications that Russia has positioned supplies of blood near Ukraine's borders. Nothing good <laughs> requires supplies of blood. Hey, neighbor, want to join uh, Candace and me for apple picking next Sunday? Great. Oh, bring a couple of pints of blood. <laughs> No reason. <laughs> to discourage Russia from invading, a Senate panel said it's close to approving the mother of all sanctions. Oh, and mothers, no sanctions. <laughs> Dakota, if your grades do not improve, no screen time, no parties, no exporting oil to the European bloc, I don't care if China's getting away with crushing the Uyghurs. No, uh-uh, no, uh no. Uh-uh, no, uh-uh. The measures would include sanctions on Russia's largest banks, financial institutions, and sovereign debt, which could cause severe inflation, a stock market crash, and other forms of financial panic that would effectively cut the Russian economy off from much of the global financial system. They're going to destroy the banking system in Russia, essentially plunging the country back into 2008. Then they'll make them down a four loco and watch the Indiana Jones with Shia LaBeouf. Do you know who I'm surprised to find out is not that concerned about Ukrainian sovereignty being crushed to dust under the iron heel of Vladimir Putin? Ukrainians. Throughout this crisis, their president, Volodymyr Zelensky, has been strangely relaxed. And according to CNN's Clarissa Ward, his people are following suit. When you talk to people here, there is no sense of heightened anxiety or alarm. We've been here a couple of days now. People here are anxious a little bit, but largely they seem to believe that there will not be a war. Yes, they're a little anxious, but they've dealt with it in an interesting way. As tensions have escalated, some Ukrainians have hit the dance floor in clubs to escape a sense of dread for a fleeting moment. <laughs> of course, we all know the famous affirmation, dance like no one's invading. <laughs> So, are we on the brink of a major Russian invasion of its western neighbor, plunging the world into the most dangerous standoff since the Cold War? Or is the U.S. making a mountain out of a molehill that Vladimir Putin has surrounded with 100,000 troops? When we return, we'll ask CNN's Clarissa Ward via satellite from Ukraine. Stick around. Joining me now from Ukraine, please welcome CNN Chief International Correspondent, Clarissa Ward. Clarissa, thank you so much for being here. Hi, guys. Thank you. 
in the UN yesterday, the United States and Russia uh, were at loggerheads. The, the U.S. says the Ukraine is is an is, is an urgent and dangerous situation, in danger of Russia invading. The Russians say that the United States is exaggerating. You've talked to the Ukrainians. How are they feeling about all this? It's really extraordinary because you would expect there to be an all-out panic, right? Any other country, there's 120,000 troops on your border. There's a buildup of military hardware. You've got Russian ships also down in the south. You'd think that people would be really freaked out. But what's interesting in Ukraine is that people have been living with the threat of Russian aggression for eight years. And they lived through a couple of years of, of pretty vicious fighting between Ukrainian forces and pro-Russian separatists. So war has kind of become part of the fabric of life here. And as a result, I think that until there are actually bombs falling or shots being fired, people don't pay as much attention to the rhetoric coming from either side. So like the thing that people would tell me a lot is we don't listen to politics. We don't worry about politics. Until things actually start happening, this is all in the realm of politics for them. And Ukrainian leaders are really trying also to keep people calm. And that's why you've seen them coming out and, and really for the first time that I've seen disagreeing with America and saying, we don't think an all out invasion is possible. We want everybody to stay calm. As I was saying before that the, the crisis is a self-generated one by Russia. What does he need to actuate this into an invasion? He's got the troops there. What needs to happen for him to justify uh, the action that's most feared? The tanks. So I think the most likely scenario that, you know, this is what sort of U.S. intelligence officials have been talking about, is that he would stage some kind of a false flag operation, by which I mean in this sort of pro-Russian separatist area, where, by the way, they have been handing out Russian passports like candy for the last years. He would say, oh, there's been an attack from Ukrainian forces on Donbass, this separatist region. These are Russian citizens. We must go in to protect them, right? And that gives him the sort of fig leaf or pretext of saying, I have an obligation. These people have Russian passports. They're Russian citizens. We need to offer them defenses. And then before you know it, you've got Russian tanks rolling across that border into territory that, you know, it may be under the control of pro-Russian separatists, but this is still part of Ukraine, which is a sovereign country. And it still would constitute, you know, a really big deal, even though it's not an all-out invasion. Do the Ukrainians have uh, the same sort of uh, national identity that Americans do? Because we really uh, think of ourselves as Americans first, no matter what our ethnicity is and that we don't want people coming into our country without permission. Like, we have a wall. They need a wall. Would they like a wall? Because we've got There's a long one that we're like not going to use on the southern border. <laughs> There's plenty who would like a wall. I would say, you know, Ukrainians definitely have a strong sense of national identity. But it shifts a little bit as you move throughout the country. When you go to the far west of the country, you know, bordering Poland, you see much more... Uh, Ukrainians who really want to engage with the European Union and with the West and with NATO. When you move to the further parts of the East, you see a lot of people where Russian is their first language. 
Um, they have family in Russia. We interviewed a Ukrainian soldier on the front lines today. He is a Ukrainian soldier fighting for his country, but he did not want to give his name on camera because his family is in Donbass in that separatist region. And I think what that sort of, I hope sort of helps people understand a little bit is that this is complex, this is nuance. Russia and Ukraine, especially along those border areas, have a long history. They're intermingled in terms of families, in terms of the language, in terms of the history, in terms of the culture. And so it's not a clear cut issue of just, you know, Ukrainians hate Russia and, 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 and Russia is the enemy. For many Ukrainians, of course, Russia is the enemy. But for many others, they are also very enmeshed in, in Russian life. Um, I'm old enough to remember that the Soviet Union would commonly try to test new presidents of the United States by creating a crisis, a uh, foreign policy crisis, early in that president's term to see what kind of man they were dealing with. Could this be part of it, too, rattling the American cage to see what the response would be from a new administration? I think that President Putin is always trying to push buttons like that, and especially with each president, trying to get a sense of who they are and what they stand for. And I think maybe, maybe, and it's all just speculation, President Putin sees President Biden and he sees how much Biden and his administration have been talking about China, right? We want to focus on China. This is the big challenge. This is the big threat. This is the big competitor. And so perhaps he's trying to take advantage of that moment and both kind of reestablish himself as being a major player of, you know, major international consequence on the world stage, but also hopefully try to take advantage of the fact that maybe President Biden doesn't want to be as focused on Russia, that he would prefer to have, you know, China be the number one thing on his agenda. But with all of these things, Stephen, and, you know, I, I don't know if you found this, but like at the end of the day, you always end up coming back to the same thing, which is like, what is President Vladimir Putin thinking right now? Yeah, why is, is this so important to him? Man. Why, mm -hmm. is you, why is Ukraine so important to him? Well, if you've had the luxury of reading, he wrote a letter about this last summer. It's exceptionally long um, and exceptionally detailed. It's like, a, you know, a historical tome. He views Ukraine and Russia as being sort of spiritually and religiously and linguistically and historically and culturally kind of one and the same bonded together. And, you know, when he talks about the collapse of the Soviet Union and he describes it as like, you know, one of the greatest catastrophes. He's talking in no small part about Ukraine and that deep, deep relationship that he believes exists there. So when he sees Ukrainians turning towards the West and ousting the, you know, the president who was here before, Viktor Yanukovych, who was like the Kremlin's man and having a revolution and wanting to be part of NATO, that's anathema to everything that he stands for. And it feeds into this idea, which is a sort of you know, a mantra of his, which is NATO encirclement. The West is trying to castrate Russia, to weaken Russia, to encircle us and put their weapons there and their forces there. And, and that's something that he really will go to great, great lengths to prevent. Well, Clarissa, thank you so much for giving us the perspective right there in Ukraine. CNN Chief International Correspondent Clarissa Ward, everybody. Coming up, Faith Hill. My guest tonight is a five-time Grammy Award-winning singer and country music superstar. She now stars in 1883.
You drank coffee. It's enough for me. No one else here. You lied. I did, didn't I? What kind of a woman drinks coffee? Oh, I can't wait to hear this lecture on womanhood. This coffee is for him after a long night. Someday, if you're lucky to find a man, or simply find a man who is extremely unlucky, you'll learn coffee is a welcome treat after a hard ride. Please welcome to The Late Show, Faith Hill. Being here. Thanks for having me. This Congratulations is so nice. on 1883. Thank you. Much anticipated prequel to the incredibly popular Yellowstone. Yes. Now, here's the thing I saw from that clip and from other clips that I've seen, obviously, it's pioneer life. Pioneer life looks really rough. <laughs> for instance, just even the wardrobe, that's a lot of wool. And it's <laughs> it is hot and long and scratchy. Like, what is it like to have to be decked out? out in the heat all the time. Well, I do believe, and I do feel strongly about this, that a man should have to wear a corset because that's what we had to wear, mm -hmm. right? Obviously, dear, dear obviously the, I wear Spanx every night. Yeah, really? Spanx, so obviously. I, I mean, I could never, <laughs> I don't believe that, but, okay. but you, um, I, I wear, I wear, I, I have worn them too, not, not, what do you call them? Manx, Manx, Manx. Um, I'm gonna try that. <laughs> ask Tim. Ask Tim okay. if he ever wears any Manx. <laughs> you can ask I'll him. I'll ask soon. him tomorrow. He's my guest tomorrow. Your husband Tim McGraw. Yeah. No, but I think the, the corset—that uh, was one thing. I uh, honestly, I have no idea how they survived with the with the with the uh, uh, the wardrobe was. Um, and, and you don't have to get fully tightened in or anything. Do you? Uh, yes, absolutely. That looks yeah. painful. It was painful, and I have ribs. They're still floating around somewhere in my body. Some I found, some are missing in action, but that's okay. It's all for for the art of it of now, it all. <laughs> you you and your husband play husband and wife in, in the show. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, so there you are in the show. Your husband and wife. You're at home. Your husband and wife. How how do you separate those two? How do you keep from bringing work home? Well, we've been married for 25 years. Well, congratulations. Okay. Nicely done. Thank you. We have three grown daughters, all in their 20s. Um, Are you empty nesters? We are empty nesters now. Mm, we just Are hit you? that too. Just this year, hit that. Yeah. Oh. My wife. Oh. Yeah. Heartbreaking. Difficult, isn't it? Yes, Can't difficult. even walk by their bedrooms. It's true. It's tough. It's so true. Thank God for this project. It was like, uh, uh, yeah, honestly. So back to that in a minute. Sorry. Um, no, sorry. I, I get off topic. I, I'm a talker. Uh, uh, what did you ask me? Oh. How you feel about the situation? Oh yeah, yeah, in working. That's what I yeah, asked. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good one. You could play Clarissa Ward in the movie. Yeah, good one. You could, you could. No, well, but how do you separate amazing, it when you get actually, home? Actually, by the way, she's amazing. She is. God bless you. Yeah. Um, how do you separate them when you get home? Uh, well, because the work's never over then. Well, the work is over because here's what we we decided. Uh, we're together all the time, literally all the time. And we decided that we would never work lines together. We would never... You don't run lines with each other? No, we do not. Even we... You have scenes together, you don't run lines? No, we do not. Because we, on, you know, when the time comes for it to be shot, Tim is James, I am Margaret, and, and, and that's who we are 
when the cameras roll, that's who we are, and I don't want to give that up to him before then. You know, I may, I may have a prize in my pocket or something. Sure, sure. You never or slip bra, into James or... and Margaret when you're at home for just a minute? Mm. Nothing? He does. <laughs> I saw a memory. I saw a memory occur to you just there. <laughs> Go ahead. No. It's late night. It's all right. No. No. I'll ask him tomorrow. I'll ask him tomorrow. Oh, Don't shoot. let him watch this. Don't let him watch this. Oh, shoot. We have to take a quick break, uh, but when we come back, I will ask Faith what it's like to sing the national anthem at the Super Bowl. I gotta, I gotta ask you something. Okay. The Super Bowl's coming up. Uh, this weekend, and you sang the Super Bowl in 2000. Exactly. What is that like to sing the national, the national anthem at the Super Bowl? What did that? The pressure must be extraordinary. The most extraordinary amount of pressure ever. Like, well, there there's a couple things in my career that I would one top that. I never thought it could. Um, but yes, singing the national anthem for the Super Bowl was terrifying. However, when I sang it. The Tennessee Titans happened to be happened to make it to the Super Bowl that same year. Sure. It, and I had accepted the honor. I, I was asked, and mm -hmm. I said, "Oh my gosh, yes!" And I was like, "What did I just do?" <laughs> it's terrifying. Sure. I mean, because how do you how do you calm yourself down before you go out there, knowing um, that like uh, hundreds of millions of people are watching? Well, honestly, the Tennessee Titans were playing in this particular Super Bowl, and that calmed me because I was so proud of our team. But I, I did spend a lot of time in the restroom uh, just rehearsing. Seriously, I did with a boom box, literally a boom box, uh, in, the, in the public restroom before I walked out. I walked from the public restroom out to the field and sang the national anthem. Were you afraid you would like forget the lyrics or something like I that? I have forgotten the lyrics. I have, and, and it's one of those songs that you know so well, and you think, I'll never forget the lyrics. It's happened to me before. Uh, it was in a playoff game many years prior. I was at the Dallas, I was singing at a Dallas playoff game, mm -hmm. the beginning of my career, and I'm walking, and I was asked to sing the national anthem playoff game. And I'm walking out to the center of the field with this uh, very generous uh, guard, this woman that was walking me out, and I say to her, and this is televised, would you happen to know the, just the first word of the national anthem? <laughs> All I need is the first word, the oh. oh. And, uh, and she said, seriously? And I said, and we're walking like hand in hand. I said, I'm serious. I'm very serious. She said, oh my, honey, I don't know. <laughs> and I said, oh, I said, that's not what you want to I hear. don't know, I don't know, I don't know either. Okay, I'm just gonna sing Amazing Grace because they'll forgive me for that. So I literally, honest to God, failed on the national anthem. I did not. I did not. But I, honest to God, I was going. Like if I did, when I hit that center and the and it went live, if I didn't have oh say, it was going to be amazing grace. I thought, you know. But was there a track or were you was acapella? no no was a freaking like like I was freaking like naked live like there it was it like wh what you saw in the center of that circle it was that was me.
So it was oh, either going to be. I thought be, you were going to oh, have to sing say. Amazing Grace to the tune of the national anthem. No. Because there was a band out there ready to no, do it. No, with no, it. That no. Would be it was acapella. It was but, but But I thought, you no. know, I would sing Amazing Grace and be forgiven. No, country, but it worked country out. star Mickey Guyton uh, <laughs> was announced this morning. Yes. She's singing this Sunday. She's yes. an amazing artist. Have you, amazing you have any advice artist. for her? Do you, do you, are you guys friends? Amazing artist. I, I have not met her, but I am such a huge fan and supporter, mm -hmm. and she is going to slay it. Mickey, the first slay word is it. O. <laughs> She's going to slay it. Thank you so much for being here. Am Rosie. I you done? You can stay. You can oh, stay, but we got to go guess. sell some soap. Okay, okay. Soap is good. Yeah, good soap. Yeah, bye. New episodes of 1883 premiere Sundays on Paramount+. Plus. It's Faith Hill, everybody. This has been The Late Show Poncho with Stephen Colbert. If you're enjoying The Late Show Poncho, leave us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Watch The Late Show with Stephen Colbert weeknights at 11.35, 10.35 Central on CBS and Paramount+. Plus. And for more exclusive Late Show content, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Late Show on YouTube.